The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit MidtownColumbia.com slash partner. Amen. Uh, I'm Ant, uh, pastor here at Midtown Two Notch. If I haven't had the pleasure uh, of meeting you, um, glad you're here. I see we have a, quite a few visitors here with us today. Glad you're here. Uh, hopefully we were able to get one of our bulletins uh, to you. Uh, if so, and, and this is your first time, we would love for you to fill out the bottom of, of that bulletin. We just call that the sign and drop. We're going to pass the offering baskets around at the end of our time together today. If you could just drop it in the offering basket uh, for us, that would help us to get to know you a little bit better and just be able to acknowledge uh, that you were here to worship with us uh, this morning. Uh, together. Uh, just as uh, Delisha uh, just read, we want to be in Philippians chapter 2 today. You can go ahead and start turning there. Um, again, in Philippians chapter 2, uh, if you haven't been with us, we're uh, kind of winding down towards the end of a series that we're calling Personal Liturgy. Personal Liturgy. In this series, we've said over and over again that God desires for us to, to experience a, a, a supernatural uh, life of joy and peace in Him that, that, that we get to find joy and peace in him and find love and comfort for our souls in him through good times and bad times. That God desires for us to prosper spiritually regardless of the circumstances that are in our lives. If I can read a quick verse, continue going to Philippians chapter 2. I just want to read from John 10, 10 uh, pretty quickly. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says he comes that we might have abundant life, right? He desires for us to prosper spiritually through knowing him, through experiencing life with him. He's not, he's not uh, just talking about uh, material possessions or blessings that he gives us, but, but on a deeper level, on a spiritual level, on a soul level, he, he desires us to, to, to experience abundance spiritually and all of his eternal blessings that he has for us. This is what our Father wants for us as his children, that, 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 exi- that we wouldn't just exist from day to day and exist from task to task, but that spiritually we would prosper and thrive in him and flourish in him. Again, this doesn't mean that we don't have difficult times, but it means that we have an anchor where we can find joy and stability and strength in him, even through the most difficult of times. I believe this is what we all desire. We all desire to, to have this type of strength and this type of joy. The question I want to put on our minds early today is, how do we go about achieving this type of abundant life that Christ has for us, that he wants for us? Throughout this series, we've listed quite a few different what we call spiritual enemies that are at war with us spiritually and that can prevent us from experiencing this type of life Christ has for us. Spiritual enemies like distraction, we call uh, spiritual cynicism. We talked about apathy and self-reliance. These things make war against our souls And they fight against us as we seek to know Christ more. Today, the spiritual enemy that I want to get into is one that is very, very deceptive. Very, very deceptive. It's it's, it's so deceptive that it it makes us uh, believe oftentimes that it's actually our friend and not an enemy. Right? The toughest enemy to fight against is the one that you don't see coming. It's the one that's disguised as a friend. It's the one that you, you even came to trust so much that you embraced it. That's the enemy that's hardest to fight against because you don't even know that you need to fight against it. And this... Spiritual enemy that we'll get into today is one that we have oftentimes put our trust in. It's one that we've put our hope in. It's one that we've turned to actually thinking that it will grant us the abundant life that Christ is is promising us here. And we have not realized that it is actually an enemy that is robbing us of everything that we're looking to it to give us. The spiritual enemy that we'll talk about today and for the next three weeks is the spiritual enemy of self-absorption. 
the spiritual enemy of self-absorption. I'll define that as being preoccupied with your own thoughts, feelings, desires, and concerns above all else. I'll read that again. Self-absorption, being preoccupied with your thoughts, feelings, desires, and concerns above all else. Self-absorption, it lies to us. It tells us that you can find uh, abundant life in, in looking inward and just focusing in on yourself. If you just think about what do you want in life, what are, you, what, what are your goals, what are your ambitions, what do you want to see happen in your life, if you just focus on those things and pursue those things with everything you have, then you'll actually find true joy and abundant life. And we have believed this. We have submitted to it. We have embraced it. We have spread this, this, this gospel of self-absorption to others. We've thought it to be our friends when it is truly our enemy. It tells us the lie that the, that the primary place that we find joy is by, is by considering what are our strongest desires and pursuing those, whatever makes us feel good at the time. It tells you that the single path to happiness is primarily by thinking about yourself. It tells you that you owe yourself to forget about everybody else, forget about what will benefit everybody else, and just do you. Just focus on yourself. Don't worry about what, it, what is beneficial for anyone else, your family, your friends, your relationships. Don't worry about that. Just focus on yourself. And that's really how you find happiness. That's really how you find joy. It tells you that if anybody tries to put any type of rules on you to prevent you from pursuing this happiness by being absorbed in yourself, then they're actually your enemy and you need to disregard them because they are holding you back from true happiness and meaning and meaning. In life, this is the lie of self-absorption. This is our enemy, and we have embraced it so often as if it were our friend. It tells you that you need to follow your own goals and your own dreams, no matter the cost. If you're ever going to be happy in life, you got to stop thinking about other people and think about yourself. And if we continue down that path, we'll even believe it. We even believe the lie that it tells us that if God is not orchestrating our lives the way that we want him to and the way that we thought it should go, then he is actually not for our good. Self-absorption, this enemy, it feeds us these lies and we believe it to be truth and thus we have accepted it as a friend when it is really a foe that is robbing us of our joy in the Lord. If you're a Christian, this self-absorption will tell you even that God wants you to focus only on yourself. That God wants you to be happy, right? Like God is for you. God wants you to know joy. God wants you to be happy. So, of course, God would want you to only follow your dreams and your passions regardless of the effects that it has on anyone else, right? Self-absorption, it compromises our faith. Before you know it, you've trusted and embraced this enemy. You're holding so closely to it that anybody who challenges you on it, anybody who calls you out of it, you, you shun, you push away, and you actually truly believe that they are against you when they're trying to point you to the Lord. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians, he gives us instructions on how we should view our own desires, how we should view our own interests. We're going to start at Philippians 2, we'll start at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let me read that again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing. But in humility, count others more significant 
than yourselves. We'll come back to that. This call to biblical humility starts with us seeing God as supremely glorious, supremely worthy of worship, right? Supremely good, supremely holy, as we've sang about this morning. And thus being so in awe of who he is and how grand and how majestic he is, we see ourselves, comparatively speaking, as much lower, much less significant than God himself, right? So that, that, that's how we, we see ourselves, by seeing God first. Then we understand that in comparison to him, I, I am insignificant, comparatively speaking, to God. And thus, my interests and my desires are not what are at the forefront of my mind. That's what humility tells us. So he's saying in humility, have this posture of not thinking of ourselves more than we should. Count others more significant than yourselves, Paul says. He's calling the people of God into a life that looks to God and is humbled. And because of that, then can esteem others more significant than ourselves because we're not confused about our level of greatness, right? Like we're not assuming that we're, that we're the greatest thing we've ever seen. So, so now we're able to count others as more significant than ourselves. We're called to not be fooled into believing that we're more significant or valuable than other people. And because of that, look at what verse 4, four says. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Don't just think about yourself and your interests, but also look to the interests of others. Don't just care about your cares and your affairs. Care about the cares and the affairs of others. This is in, this is in direct contradiction to this gospel of self-absorption that believes that if I just focus on what I need to do in life, if I'm really going to pursue abundant life, is look to my own interests and concerns and not worry about everybody else. This is in direct contradiction to that. Paul is saying, no, we are not preoccupied, so preoccupied with our own thoughts and feelings and concerns and affairs that we neglect all others. That is not how Christians live. No, we should consider others more significant than ourselves and look to the interests of others and not just ourselves. Paul goes on to show us, as Christians, the type of minds or the, the mindset that we should have if we're going to actually consider others to be more significant than ourselves. Moving on to verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If we're going to fight against and be victorious over this enemy of self-absorption, we have to be armed with the very mindset of Christ. We're going to go back down and, and break down. We're going to go back through this in a little bit, but I just want to read verses 6 through 11 uh, to us. Just in, in My prayer being that we would just be overwhelmed by the love, the sacrifice, the humility of our Savior. I'll just read 6 through 11, then we'll go back through and break it up a little bit. Verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May we, may we not get so used to that that we don't stand in awe of the humility of Christ our Savior anymore. I know this might be a passage we've heard a bunch of times. I know if you grew up in the church, you, maybe you're familiar with the story of what Christ did for us. This is mind-blowing, world-changing humility and love when God himself 
considers others more significant than himself. This is God. This is the supremely important and valuable being in all of the universe. He is bigger than the universe itself, and he counts others more significant than himself. Since he does not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 6 says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. That, that, that word form there means the exact nature of something. So it's, it's saying that even though he was the exact nature of God the Father himself, he didn't count equality with him from an authority standpoint a thing to, to hold on to. He was willing to submit himself to the will of God the Father. He was willing to be obedient to even to the point that it cost him his life because he counted others more significant than himself. This is our Savior. Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. So he was in the form of God, the very nature of God the Father himself, but took on the form of a servant. Took on the exact nature of somebody whose job and role in life is to serve others. This is what Paul is saying. Took on the exact nature of a servant. This is what our God did. The one who deserves to be served and worshipped by everyone. Every hand of every person that has ever been created should be given to serving God. And he is stepping down from the throne to the cross to serve the very people that he created. This is the God we worship. What a glorious Savior we worship. What a glorious God we serve. A beautiful and overwhelming love that we have been shown. He sacrificed his thoughts, his feelings, his desires, and his concerns for the good of others. What humility, what strength, what sacrifice our Savior displays as he dies in our place. God himself, God himself, the one who was holding the universe together, the one who created a million galaxies, looks to earth, finds people who rebelled against him, Finds people who, who, who rejected him. Found people who considered themselves more worthy of service than him. And says, I'm going to go serve them. The ones I created out of the dirt. I will give my life to serve them. This is why we worship. This level of sacrifice, this level of love, this is, this is why we worship. This is a love and a level of sacrifice that changes our world. This love, it is glorious. It is what we need. It is what everyone we need. This love, this, this sacrifice, this humility, this is life itself. This is everything. This love is needed. This love is necessary. But this love will never be shared with the world if we believe the lies of self-absorption. This love will never have impact if the people of God are so if we're so absorbed with ourselves and with our own concerns with our own affairs and our own interests then this love will not be extended the Christian life broken down in simplest terms is loving God and loving people I would say and this enemy of self-absorption leaves no room for either because it is all about loving ourselves Here's how this often breaks down. This, this lie that true abundant life is found in us focusing on our own thoughts, our own wants, and our own preferences. It leads us to believe that the world actually centers around our happiness. It leads us to believe this, this, this belief that oh, I can only find joy if I focus on myself. It causes us now to see the world as if it is centered around us. 
Thus, whenever someone is, is against the world being about us, we get mad, we get offended. We basically throw a grown-up adult temper tantrum. For example, some of us complain. Let me get a specific example. Some of us complain extensively over and over again all the time about our jobs because our boss doesn't think the world revolves around us. And we can't handle having to do something over and over again that we don't like because we hate the fact that this job that we're working, this place of business, does not revolve around us. So we complain over and over again. Complaint is the language of the self-absorbed. Self-absorbed people constantly complain because the world isn't tailored towards them. Listen to me, hear me on this. Your job is not about you. Your job exists to accomplish a task, generally one that makes your employer money, even if it's difficult or uncomfortable for you. Some of us will pray over and over again for a job, and as soon as God gives us a job, complain every day about it. (laughs) Self-absorbed. Self-absorbed. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth what? So the one who complains over and over again, has a deep-rooted contentment in life that is bubbling up inside of them. It is filling their heart. This contentment is abundant in their heart, and it just continues to flow out of their mouth. They don't have gratitude, so self-absorbed, so believing that the world is to revolve around us, that complaint just flows out. It becomes our, 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 our common tongue. We're fluent in complaining. Hear me on this. I'm not saying it's sinful to voice frustrations uh, from time to time, I'm not saying that at all. To some degree, that is healthy and something that we should do. But I'm talking about when we cannot stop complaining about things that when you step back and look at it, really isn't that big of a deal. Really isn't that big of a deal. I'll give you an example. I got a few examples for y'all today. I hope y'all don't mind. So the app we created with our personal liturgy series, uh, the goal was for us to uh, try to reach people um, in various walks of life. So if you're, if you're new with us, we have a, an app that goes with this series with a daily challenge. Every day has a, a challenge for you to pursue spiritual health in the Lord and to fight against these spiritual enemies that we've been talking about throughout the series, right? So we have people uh, in our church and in our family of churches in different walks of life, different stages of life, different life circumstances. And we've had people complain when some of the challenges or when some of the points in the app weren't specifically tailored to them. We've had people complain, right? Now, again, the goal was to be able to reach as wide as we can and, and, and do specific things in the app that apply to everybody. But because when something has not tailored itself specifically to an individual, we've had people complain, not, not express gratitude because it's like, man, we, the people who designed this app, who wasn't me, the people who designed this app truly considered everyone in our family of churches as much as possible. And so many people are being blessed by this. I am glad that this is, that this is tailored to them to some degree on this specific day. Instead of that, it's, I mean, why would they put something on here that doesn't fit my life? That is being preoccupied with your own affairs, your own interests, your own concerns above everything else to the point that you are angry if something is focused on someone other than you, we believe the lie. Hear me on this. Life is not about you. Life is not about you. For some of, you, for, for some of us, I should say, it is legitimately painful when everything is not about us. It, it legitimately causes We've so believed this lie that it legitimately causes us pain and anger and frustration. 
when we are called to participate in something that is not completely about us. It has so deceived us into believing that everything is about us that we can't enjoy the fact that other people are being blessed by something if we have to participate in it. Self-absorption is dominating our hearts, our minds. We bought the lie that abundant life is found in us getting our way all the time. For some of us, buying into this lie is destroying our friendships, it's destroying our relationships. Some of, you, some of us in the room, we currently have beef uh, with people who um, have angered us, and really what happened is they just didn't buy into the lie that the world was about you. And now you have problems, now, now you have issues, now, now there's anger, now there's, there's a need for reconciliation. Maybe they said something to you that you needed to hear, but you didn't want to hear. They didn't meet your expectations. They didn't do what you thought that they should do for you at the time. They disagreed with some of your behaviors. They wouldn't bend everything in their lives to us. So sometimes we just cut off relationship with them. So self-absorbed. Some of us are so self-absorbed that we can't forgive people when they treat us the exact same way that we treat them. So self-absorbed that we can't move past somebody treating us the same way that we have treated them. So preoccupied with our own thoughts, our own affairs. Some of us are quick to shoot it straight with people, give people blunt and honest truth. We need that. But if somebody comes to you with that same thing, it's like, I want nothing to do with you. I'm angry with you now. right? I can't move past. I can't be patient with you. Some of us quick to pop off at the mouth, right? Some of us know. God, God been working on us. I know. Some of us, God been working on us. But we're still a little quick with the words, a little sharp with the words, right? And then as soon as someone is sharp with the words with us, we're unable to have patience with them. How self-absorbed is that? How self-absorbed with that is that? Someone shoots straights with us, well, they ain't have to come at me like that. Well, that's the same way you talk to them. Some of us can't forgive because we're so preoccupied with our own thoughts, feelings, desires, and concerns that when someone does something that, that is not as preoccupied with those things, we, we just can't let it go because our whole life is built around this belief that the world is about me. And as long as you don't submit to that, I can't forgive you. There are people who, uh, for those of you who, who are new, we organize our, our church in, uh, in life groups. All of our members uh, we call to be in life groups, to be in these, these smaller groups where we're in community and fellowship uh, with each other. Self-absorption will have us in a life group meeting, thinking the life group meeting is all about us, so we take up more time than anybody else, and then get mad at somebody else when they do the same thing. We, we want to share. We need our time to, to get off what we're saying. And then if someone else does it, then, then well, what they said obviously isn't as important as what I had to say, right? What, what, what they shared isn't as needed to, to, to kind of be there in our presence in the group as what I had to say. There are some who will come to a life group meeting. So there are some who come and talk too much because we're so self-absorbed. And there are some who come and don't talk at all because we're so self-absorbed. Right? The Holy Spirit lays it on your heart. You need to challenge, confront, encourage this person. But because we're so concerned with how people might perceive us, oh, I might not do it right and people might look down on me, or this person might be angry or upset if I say this thing to them, and I don't want to feel that, so I won't say it. Self-absorption can cause us to, to dominate conversations and relationships. Self-absorption could cause us to not 
share and give life to those that we're in relationship with as well. Sometimes we'll show up late to meetings or events that other people are throwing for various reasons and then being patient when someone doesn't show up, when someone shows up late to our event or meeting. I know people who are 100% offended if they walk into a church service like this one and people don't go out of their way to greet them, right? People just feel kind of, kind of outcast, kind of distant, and people don't go out of their way to greet them and make them feel warm and welcome. And, and we should, as we should as a church, make sure we are extending ourselves so they'll say the church is cliquish or the church seems, seems kind of cold. But the same people will become members of the same church, and then when new people walk in, they will stay in their bubble and not go talk to new people. So self-absorbed. From the first day you walk in to, to you've been in the church for two years, right? You walk in, everybody's not focused on me. I'm angry. Become a member of the church. Oh, this is easier for me to just be in my friend group. So I'm not going to go and greet the newer person who is here. So self-absorbed. Hear me on this. Self-absorption will turn you into the thing that you hate. You first walk in, you hate the clickishness. You hate that people are kind of staying to themselves and in the groups that they're comfortable in. But then when you're in, you do the exact same thing that we hate. Some of us were extremely grateful for the time for, for how we came to know Christ. People came and shared Christ's love with us and invited us into a body of believers where we got to know that love better and better. And then after becoming believers, we won't do the same thing for others. We won't invite others in. We won't share Christ with others. We're so self-absorbed. We believe the lie that abundant life is found in focusing on our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own desires and concerns. And so we think the world is all about us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'll read the second half of verse 19 and verse 20. You don't have to turn there, it should be here on the screen. Paul instructing the believers at the church of Corinth says, You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. One of the things that Jesus did when he, when he died on the cross for our sins, uh, part of the way the Bible describes our, our captivity to sin and, and what sin has done to us is that it has uh, enslaved us. The sin has enslaved us, and the way that we ought to be freed is if, we, is if the ransom is paid, right? So a ransom is, is when someone pays a certain amount to free someone for, from captivity. So what Paul is saying here is that Jesus paid the ransom for us to buy us out of slavery with his life, and thus we belong to him now if we are believers and followers of him. He paid the ransom with his death on the cross. We belong to him. That means our life is not our own. We are not our own. Here's what this means for us. The world is not about you. Your job is not about you. Your relationships, your family, your marriage is not about you. Your money, your possessions, your house, your car is not about you. Your spheres of influence, your power, your authority is not about you. Your gifts, your talents, your strengths, your accomplishments are not about you. Your energy and your passions are not about you. Your friends, your life group, this church is not about you. God is not about you. God is about his glory and his kingdom growing in the earth. And based on what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, your life is not about you. Your life is not about you. It's not about your preferences. It's not primarily about your concerns. It's not primarily about your affairs. And the more we go through life, 
believing the lie that abundant life is found in being preoccupied with our own thoughts and feelings and desires, the more we'll miss out on the true abundant life that Christ has for us. Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples at, at one point in the book of Matthew. He's kind of gotten away with them, um, and they're not even in uh, Israel at the time. So he starts asking them. He, he says to his disciples, hey, who are people saying that I am, right? Like when you hear people talking about me, who are people saying that I am? They, the disciples give Jesus a few different things that people say, and then he says, but who do you, who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus, Peter, Peter is saying that you are the Messiah, the one who's been promised for generation after generation, for centuries. You, you are the one who has come to save the people of God, he says. After that, Jesus tells Peter and the rest of his disciples that he's going to have to suffer and be killed. He's showing them what has to happen for him, for him to actually be the Messiah and, and be who God has called him to be. He's, he's telling them that he's going to have to die. And Peter says, no, you're not going to have to suffer and die. No, no, that's not going to happen. Jesus rebukes Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan. Then Jesus tells his disciples what it's going to look like if they're going to actually follow him. After showing them what he is going to have to do and what he is going to have to lay down in sacrifice, check out what he says in Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said, if you're going to be a follower of me, I imagine he's looking largely at Peter, who after he said, hey, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to have to sacrifice even my life for this. And Peter rebukes Jesus and says, no, you don't have to do that. You're not going to do that. He says, hey, Peter, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to do the same thing. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to sacrifice as well. Verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says true life, true abundant eternal life is found not in holding on to our lives and our preferences and our way of doing things as strongly as we can, but rather letting our lives go. And that is a path to eternal life in him. And it is a path to day by day true joy and peace in the Lord. The path to true abundant life is one of sacrifice that rebels against every lie that self-absorption has told us. Last week, I, uh, I visited one of our Serve the City partners. Uh, if you're familiar with our church, we have about seven organizations and ministries in the city that serve uh, the least of these or, or more vulnerable people in our city. Uh, I went with some other Midtown people to just kind of visit and just learn uh, what they do. We went to the Palmetto Health Children's Hospital. They have a clinic there for oncology. Uh, in the children's hospital, basically children who have been diagnosed uh, with cancer. One of the ladies who was there with us uh, uh, as part of our church, her name is uh, Courtney. She's actually a member of our downtown church. A um, little bit about Courtney's story. If you know Courtney, I, she wouldn't mind me sharing this. I asked her if I could share her story because I was so inspired by it. Courtney has lost seven, seven children to date. She's lost seven children. Um... All seven of children were lost either in utero or just right after, right after birth. And we get there and we're at the clinic and, and the ladies at the clinic who are running there, just, they speak so highly of Courtney. They just brought her name up probably, no exaggeration, 10 times during our tour of that area. So I started trying to figure out more, like, like what, why is Courtney, I mean, why, why is Courtney so involved in this, in this clinic? 
I said Courtney had seven children who have passed away. She had another daughter that actually was diagnosed with cancer, and so she ended up having to go to this clinic and found a lot of support. And so now what Courtney does on a consistent basis as a volunteer, she volunteers her time hours after hours after hours, making sure that the mothers who are going through what she went through have someone there for them. I talked to somebody who um, has a lot of knowledge of uh, just what goes on in that clinic. Somebody who doesn't work there, but is just very familiar. And what, what he told me was, currently at Palmetto Health Children's Hospital, in that oncology clinic, anytime a mom finds out there that their child has cancer, one of the first things they say to her is, you got to meet Courtney. You just got to meet Courtney. She goes to pretty much every family that has to deal with that. And she comforts them, and she's there for them. Told Courtney, I said, I, I feel like you are the most inspiring example of not having a self-absorbed life that I've ever seen. Because that level of grief, it turns people inward. That level of grief, it makes you focus on yourself. It makes you focus on your problems and your pain and your sadness and your grief. But for her, even this, this level of grief that I can't even imagine could not stop her from loving God and loving others. Because she counts others as more significant than herself. She sacrifices her time, her energy, her strength. She shares her tears, her testimony, her pain. She shares so much of her life with these women. So I just went to court. I was like, why? Why do you do this? Why do you sacrifice so much time that all these women here know you and they speak more highly of you than anyone else they talked about on this tour? Here's what she said. She said, for me, coming to serve at the children's hospital is a no-brainer. She said, it's twofold. We have been deeply loved by Jesus when we were undeserving. And we were loved deeply by community and, and this hospital when going through a critical time with Zoe's cancer. That's her daughter. It's one of my greatest hopes and desires to do the very same for the families, children, and staff at the children's hospital. More and more, I also love getting to share with more of our church family and them having a heart to love and serve there as well. So she's not serving, she actually leads our family of churches in serving at this same clinic. She said, it has added joy to my life. Hear this, because this is the secret, because this is the key to everything. She says, it, it, has had, it, sorry, it has added joy to my life by being able to meet tangible needs for families with simple things like a fresh meal, not hospital food, and also just walking side by side with moms who are going through watching their child fight cancer. This story, it is beautiful, it is moving, it is needed. It is the result of a life that is not self-absorbed and is not overly concerned with our own affairs and with our own trials and with our own cares in our lives. Courtney is able to live this way because she's following our glorious Savior who is led in, by his example and shown us that the pathway to true abundant life it's not self-absorbed, but rather it's through sacrificing our own thoughts, sacrificing our own feelings, sacrificing our own desires, sacrificing our own interests because of our love for God and because of our love for people. Family, my prayer for us is that we will live the rest of our lives, not just following Courtney's example, but following our Savior's example, who left heaven, who was willing to sacrifice even his life that we might be served. My prayer is that we will be so impacted by that that we will be compelled to go and give the rest of our lives serving, that we will wear ourselves out tired serving people and loving God and not being overly absorbed 
in ourselves. Let me pray for his family, then we'll, we'll partake in communion together. Lord, help us to stand in awe of how humble you are, how loving you are, how much you count others, you count us more significant than yourselves when you came, than yourself when you came and died for us in our place on the cross. Lord, every day would you cause us to stand in awe, that we would just be amazed, that we would hear this over and over every Sunday, every week, every day of our lives, and still just be amazed that you would do that for us, Lord, and that we would be so inspired by it that we would go and do the same, believing the truth that joy really is found in sacrifice, that true fulfillment and prospering in life is found in serving. God, we're going to need your Holy Spirit and your strength to live this one out but we know you can change us and transform us to do that. It's in Christ's name I pray.